turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We are in the home stretch, y'all. We are in the home stretch of this half a year long series. I was encouraged by uh, Pastor Phil, who you would have met earlier this year. He was here and he said that at the beginning of the year, the Lord just said, preach verse by verse through the book of Philippians this year. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. That is such encouragement. So I was thinking about how to cram all this in before Easter, and I just couldn't find myself or bring myself to do it. And so we're just going to continue to take this journey until the Lord directs us otherwise. This, this journey of discovering what it means to be a disciple and belief in practice, what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus. And we find in this third chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 1, it says this, Do not judge. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all of the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrites. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their foot and turn and tear you to pieces. What an encouraging end to that passage of Scripture. So encouraging, I think we should pray. Father, I just pray that this word would be your word, and that our ears would be attentive to hear the word that you have for us. Let it be new manna for us today. Let it be our daily bread that you would have for us today. Father, let it be a word that would go forth and it would heal, it would transform, it would renew. But most importantly, it would encourage us, Father, to continue to follow you, to lean into you, to trust you, to give you room in our life, to use us as you've created us and purposed us. We ask this in your name. And everybody said, amen. All right, I have 24 minutes to teach you on what it means to take the plank out. Take the plank out. I thought maybe I could say, uh, don't walk the plank, burn it down. If you're a pirate fan, no, nobody. Great. I, very rarely do I uh, have punchlines that fail. That one did miserably. So we'll just uh, stick with the message title, take the plank out. There's three thoughts that I, I drew from this text that I wanted to share with us tonight, and I hope that it would bring an encouragement to you, maybe a bit of a challenge, but most importantly, it would invite you into a closer relationship with Jesus. The first thought that I have is this, don't judge. Very simply put, at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. And I wondered, what does he mean by judge? Because I think about the idea of judge and jury, which uh, my friend Luther just experienced this past week, where he um, provided his services to uh, the state government and served on a jury. Uh, where Brandon is called tomorrow to go and potentially be selected for jury, is this idea that we uh, have a judge and a jury. But in this case, this isn't what Jesus is referring to. He, he's talking about something deeper even still. He, the Greek word for judge is krino, which means to decide, condemn, or pass judgment, to separate. I found this quote from Dallas Willard uh, to be quite fitting and encouraging all the same. It says this, judgment of others is really about condemnation. 
And condemnation is a devaluing and dehumanization of other human beings. Willard goes on to explain that when we condemn another, we really communicate that he or she is, in some deep and just, possibly irredeemable way, bad. Bad as a whole. And to be rejected. In our eyes, the condemned is among the discards of human life. He or she is not acceptable. We sentence that person to exclusion. Surely we can learn to live well and happily without doing that. Another, uh, another theologian, Jay Thayer, comments that the proper meaning of crino or judgment is to pick out, choose by separating. In other words, he's saying to separate, to pick out and intentionally choose to separate people, groups, thoughts, perspectives, to deem bad and reject them and sentence them to a life of exclusion. A life of exclusion. I, I, I believe we would all agree that we live in a world that is defined by status. Maybe for some it's defined by class, style, defined by the neighborhood in which you live or lived, the school in which you attend. Whether you live ITP or OTP, in other words, inside the perimeter or outside the perimeter. We're, we're defined by our race or religion, our political views and world issues. We're even defined by our medical beliefs. And I think in some cases that some of these might be viewed as fun and innocent. However, some are formed and rooted in generations of hate, disdain and discord, which without much effort can can and does establish a culture or posture of separation. It, it can create a culture of, of judgment. Even worse, it can create segregation, which leaves people feeling rejected. It, it makes and leaves people feeling excluded, in some cases sentenced to a life of exclusion. You know, like the puppy in the window kind of thought cr crosses my mind. Like, here's this poor puppy. Often, if it's a puppy in the window, it could be a puppy that was given up for adoption, or it was a puppy that was neglected, and it was found in a bad situation, and they took it into a place in which they get put up for adoption in hopes that somebody would come and adopt this puppy. In some cases, sometimes, some places, some pets are left to a life of exclusion. How much... How much truer is that for us sometimes as humans? It's interesting to me when I think about this idea of people being rejected or sentenced to a life of exclusion is the exact opposite of what Jesus intended when he came and he paid the price for you and I through his death and resurrection. Jesus didn't come to separate or segregate. He didn't come to exclude. He came to save the lost. He came to draw all men and women, keyword all men and women, unto himself. And I think it's fitting that Paul speaks of this in, on, on this very topic, and he's actually speaking specifically to this, this overall topic of faith, food, and opinions in Romans chapter 14. He says in verse 10, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat one day. Verse 11, it says, it is written, 
As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will acknowledge God. So verse 12 says this, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Any of you have a sibling close? And you know those moments where you, you know, try to create maybe a, a version of the truth to kind of get your brother or sister in trouble? Some would call that lying. Some would call that effective storytelling. But nonetheless, it's an innocent way of looking at this text in a real way. And that often and sometimes we find ourselves, much like what Paul was speaking to, is not passing judgment on one another. Don't, don't, don't cause your brother or sister to stumble. Don't throw objects. In other words, he's saying, hey, let's quit throwing shade at each other. Let's quit building stumbling blocks for one another. Just because we think it's fun to see each other trip doesn't necessarily mean that it leads to anything good in life because ultimately what it could lead to is a, as a person who feels excluded, a, a person who doesn't feel worthy of being around or included or invited into the, to the inner circle. Jesus was never about exclusion. He was always about inclusion of everyone. He's saying, let's, let's not create obstacles for people by the way we judge them or condemn them or treat them differently because of maybe their class, the position, or the beliefs they might have. You know, one of the things I love about going to the gym, especially uh, a gym like ours, is that you could be working out alongside somebody and have zero idea about where they work, where they're from, what their beliefs are. And in the midst of a workout, it's all about, let's just get it. Let's get this workout done, man. Let's, let's finish. And then all of a sudden, the first person to finish isn't just putting their weights away, leaving. The first person is always encouraging everyone else who finishes to follow and cheering that person on. And meanwhile, you still know nothing about this person's background, their present life, their future life. You just simply see a human being who's giving their best effort to finish a workout that they came and committed time to do. And I think that's a good picture of what the church is supposed to be and what life's really supposed to look like that we're to come alongside one another and not judge them for their past, their present, or their future, but just say, hey, you're giving it your best go. Come on, you can finish your race. God has prepared you for such a time as this. He's called you and set you apart, and I want to help you. I want to come alongside of you, and I want to see you finish your race well. So basically, this idea of don't be a judge simply comes down to this. Don't judge a person by their cover. Don't, don't judge a, a person by their cover, by their class or belief, but, but rather let's, let's see them as God sees them. Let's see them. Let's see them as sons and daughters of God. Let's see them as brothers and sisters. I, I used to always think that was weird. You know, when somebody walk up to you and be like, brother, brother Bill, how you doing? Sister Vera, how are you? Then I think, like, I call my brother, brother. I literally, I call him little brother. That's what I call him, little bro. I call my sister sis. Like, that's what I call them. That's in my phone. Little brother and sis. That's what I call them. I don't call them Megan. I don't call them Josh. It's little brother and sis. That's what I think. Well, why don't I call Bill brother? So now, like, when I text you guys, it's like, hey, what's up, bro? 
I'm just being straight, like, because I want to change the narrative that I don't see you any other way than as my brother or as my sister. So there is some intentionality to it, but it's intentional because I want us all to see each other the way that God sees us, as his sons and daughters in whom he wants all of his children, all of his sons and daughters to come into his family. The second thought that I had, the second thought that I had from this text is this. It says, why do you look at the speck? Why do you look at the speck? Verse 3 said it this way. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I've, I've actually taught on this for years. And, and, and I feel like the Lord showed me something new in this, in this particular text. And, 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 and actually posed the question, what is a speck, in fact? If you read it, you're like, well, why do you look at the speck? Well, what is a speck? Well, let's discover what a speck is. In the Greek, the word speck is dokos, which is translated to mean a log or a plank or a beam. But check this out. Something I never saw before. Something that completely obstructs your vision. A speck is something that completely obstructs your vision. It's one thing to see a speck in a brother or a friend's eye. But not when their speck is completely obstructing your ability to see your own. I'm just going to keep looking at my notes. I'm not going to look at anybody because, you know, later somebody's going to go, why were you looking at me when you said that? <laughs> not when their speck impairs your vision from seeing clearly. And it kind of reminds me of what we discovered last week about worry. Worry is defined as something that can cause us to be anxious or distracted, can, can cause us to be overly concerned about. And so it led me to, to this kind of thought pattern. Are, are we more concerned with someone else's speck to the degree we're unwilling to deny our own log? Is it easier to be worried about other specks than it is to worry about our own speck? Do we keep ourselves so worried and concerned with other specks or logs in an effort to avoid our own? I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, it's easier to point things out in other people than it is to really identify them in yourself. And the truth of the matter is, you're probably pointing it out in somebody else. It's because it's something that you haven't confronted in yourself. I know that's been the case for me. I'm just speaking from experience. If there's anything you know about me, I'm pretty good about being honest and speaking from my own shortcomings. Is it, is it, is it, it's as if it were like we're kind of like literally writing the line the fine line of what Jesus says next. And that's the third thought that I had from this, 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 this text. He says in verse 5, you hypocrite. Now, I'm not here to call anybody a hypocrite, just for the record. What actually really stood out to me was actually not the statement, you hypocrite. It was the second part of that statement. It says, first take. It says, you hip hypocrite, first take. And just for, just for clarity's sake, so we understand what hypocrite really means, here, as Jesus has been teaching it throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he, he's, he's saying a hypocrite is an actor, a pretender, someone who is overly judgmental, who overemphasizes care for something that they don't actually practice or really actually care about. So in other words, in this case, Jesus says of those who are overly concerned by someone else's speck, a hypocrite. And in saying that, he's also saying, don't do that. Don't be a hypocrite. He says it throughout all of the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, don't do it like the hypocrites do it. Don't be a hypocrite. 
We could almost write a song. Don't be a hypocrite. It ain't worth the fit. No, that's all I got. That's all I got. That's all I got. I, I, I took a nap after that. Don't, don't, don't be a hypocrite. Don't, don't do that. Don't overemphasize concern for the speck in a neighbor's eye until you, watch this, until you. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't call out the speck in your neighbor's eye or your brother's eye until you first, till you first take. And the word first is actually this word protos, which means first, chief, before, principal, my favorite, most important. First or most important, examine your own heart. The psalmist David says in Psalm 139, examine my heart, Lord, and reveal anything in me that is offensive to you. Anything in me that is taking me out of the alignment with your will for my life. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, hey, don't be a hypocrite. First, take. Take a moment. Take a beat. Take a breath and examine your own heart. Examine your own eye. Examine your own situation and get really honest with yourself. Ask yourself the hard question, am I judging or contemning people because of the life they are living or the one I am hiding? I'm just going to keep looking at Steve. Not because Steve has anything to hide. Or do you? Don't, don't be a hypocrite. Don't, 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 don't do that until you first, most importantly, examine your heart and ask yourself the hard question. Am I truly judging that person? Am I condemning that person and honestly, you're not doing it because you care of them because the word judging and condemning don't come across as very caring. And so it's likely that I might be doing it because I'm, I'm hiding some things in my own life. And that is the very thing that Jesus is most interested in. What is that thing? So he's saying, first, ask yourself, what is my motive for calling out their speck? I think it's a better way of looking at this text. What's my motive for it? Is it really because I care about this person? I care about the speck in their eye and I want to help them know Jesus? Or is it because calling out their speck just justifies the log that's in mine? And so let me just submit to you some thoughts. How would I know? How how do we know if we have a plank of judgment in our eye? How how do we know if we have a log in our eye? Well, just just some simple questions to help us kind of self-diagnose. Do we only think or see the worst in people? Do we only see and speak of people's faults? Do we, other, do we judge others' whole life only by their worst moments? You know, like, it takes a whole lifetime of doing good things for people to recognize you, and it's all gone in one bad moment. God, we're so guilty. I'm confessing. I'm going to be the first one on the altar call. I'm so guilty of that. Personally, like, people close to me. Like, I've canceled relationships because of one moment. After a lifetime of so much good. Like I'm sitting here getting convicted myself like, yo, you still got some issues, pastor. Do you hold a grudge against someone? Guilty. I got six grudges I wrote down in my journal just today. I'm like, how am I supposed to preach this? I got grudges up and down the street. Do, do we cringe or withdraw from people based on their political views? I cringed at the guy who was coughing, checking out my groceries today. <laughs> he was wearing a mask, but I still cringed. I, 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 confession, I literally started pulling my stuff onto the conveyor belt. 
I heard him cough three times. I did, I did for a hot second go, I could unload this real quick and go to the one down the, down the way. I did it. I ain't afraid to admit it. I'm a bad person. Do we cringe or withdraw from people based on who they voted for? Do we hesitate to interact with people based on their class, race, or status? If we really knew what people did when we're working out next to them, would we stay to cheer them on? I, I kind of did a whole scan, just for the record. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Do you look in the mirror and struggle to love the man or woman you see in the reflection? Here's what I've come to discover. Is that if that's actually the first question that you, you can just have an honest assessment of, do you look in the mirror and struggle to love the man or woman you see in the reflection? And I don't mean like self-care love. I don't mean like arrogant love. I mean the kind of love that God creates inside of us because we start to see a healthy view, a healthy reflection of the image in which he created us. Do you see the image of God in the reflection of the image you see in the mirror? Or is it possible that if you don't, that you just might have a speck that's blurring your vision? That you might just have a log that is, that is, that is not allowing you to see clearly the image of God that stands in the front of the mirror each and every morning. Maybe for some of you, you avoid even looking in the mirror. Do you, do you love who you see in the mirror? Bottom line. Because at the end of the day, the basis of this teaching that Jesus is about comes down to this. It comes down to the state of our hearts. It comes down to us understanding who and whom he's called us to be, sons and daughters of God. If our judgment is based on the bad you see in others, the need for them to change without having the grace to walk through the process of change and re reconciliation with them, then maybe it's likely you are being a little bit hypocritical, which just means that you're likely struggling to see, or maybe your eyes are blurry, and you don't quite have the ability to identify the log that has grown in your own eye. And I think the easiest way to start the process of reconciling the log that is in your eye is do you love the man or woman that you see in the mirror each morning? I, I can speak from experience that I, I lived 35 years of my life struggling to love people the way that God loves me because I realized that I had a log in my eye. And it took me seven years to go through the process of reconciling down to the very point where I found that speck started. I was five years old and it was the first time that I ever felt abandonment in my life. And I lived 35 years of my life struggling with this fear of abandonment, this worry, people were going to leave me. And if they did, it was easier just to cut them off. No, long, no matter how long we live life together, the minute that they walked out that door is the minute I turned my back on them too. And I'm still overcoming some of those relationships even to this day. But I realized the reason why I turned my back on them is because I had a log in my eye. 
And it took the work of the Holy Spirit to take me on the journey and a few close friends and some honest conversations with my family, particularly one with my father, where I was able to sit down and ask him about that very moment. And you know what I found out? He didn't leave me. My mom told him I couldn't go because it wasn't safe. Yeah, you can laugh at that. That's how crazy that is. 35 years of my life, I struggled with abandonment. And it came down to this fact. My dad did not take me. He didn't abandon me. My mom just straight up told him I couldn't go because it wasn't safe where they were going. In all these years, all the pain that I endured and all the pain that I caused because I had a log that was building and building and every person that abandoned me just added to the size of the log and added to the size of the log. I wonder if like for me, this is true for you, it really came down to this one simple truth. I didn't love the man that I saw in the mirror. I didn't love him. And the moment I had that realization was the moment that the journey began for me to reconcile and to heal and to be restored in a way that was going to change my life forever. See, the world doesn't need more judges. I think it's fair to say we have plenty of those. Rather, what Jesus is teaching us here is that if we commit to a life of following him and practice the way he calls us to live, we actually might just see more mercy than condemning. We might see more heaven on earth than hell on earth. We might actually see his kingdom come and his will be done. Why don't you stand with me tonight, church? We might see his kingdom come and his will be done than any one of our individual kingdoms be built and maybe even our wills being enforced. And I think what we need now more than ever is less judges and more sons and daughters who are able to look themselves in the mirror and begin the process of reconciliation through falling in love with the man, with the woman, with the son, with the daughter, in whom God created specifically, wonderfully, and beautifully for you to be. And so like I said, I don't know if you've got a speck or not. That's not for me to decide. But what I do know is if you don't see yourself that way or you have blurred vision on a particular issue or topic, I just wanted to take a moment to pray for you tonight. Maybe you found yourself judging. Maybe you found yourself with this, realizing that the idea of what a speck really is maybe makes a little bit more sense on some things. Maybe you have found yourself a little bit more hypocritical and tonight you're like, man, I, I want to first take a moment to just take stock of my heart. I want you to examine it, Lord, and I want you to heal. I want you to begin to heal. I want you to begin to heal. I want you to begin to heal that which is so broken so that I can see more clearly, so that I can be more like a son or daughter in whom you've called me to be. And we can see more of your kingdom come and your will be done than we've ever imagined, dreamed, or hoped. If that's you tonight, with every eye closed, if that's you, why don't you just do, do, do something bold? Just, just lift your hand to heaven. Say, that's me. That's me. I, I've, I've realized that I've been a little judgy, a little hypocritical, not seeing very clearly. And bottom line, if I just looked in the mirror, I don't know that I'm really much in love with the person I see in the mirror. Or I'm on the journey, I'm getting there, but I'm still not completely there yet. I'm not sure that that person who I see in the mirror is really worth loving the way that you talk about God loving me. If that's you tonight. Just, just hear every eyes closed. I'm just going to say a prayer over you. 
I'm going to start with this quote from my friend Nicky Gumbel. I wish I could say it like he says it with his accent, but I can't. It just says this, do not be judgmental. Every eye closed. You don't have to look at the screen. This is just me just, just speaking this over, then I'm going to pray. We're going to close with this. Do not be judgmental. We are not to take pleasure in judging others. Not to enjoy seeking out other people's failings or presuming their actions spring from bad motives. If we knew what people had been through, their sorrow and their suffering, we would be not so quick to judge. Jesus simply tells us to get out of our own lives, get our own lives sorted out first. We are to change ourselves before we try to change other people. Rather than sowing harsh criticism and judgment, let's sow mercy, kindness, and love. Tonight I pray that whatever is hindering you from seeing yourself the way that God sees you as a son or daughter, whatever maybe causes you to be a little judgy, maybe causes you to see a little unclearly, or is causing you right now in this moment, to hesitate to actually give you the Lord permission to examine your heart. I pray that he would, he would just meet you right where you are. And in fact, you would encounter his, his mercy. You would in fact encounter his love and his, his kindness. You would actually encounter his grace. His grace that has the power to bring healing and transformation to your life. Whatever that is. I pray that tonight you'd lay it down at his feet. And I pray that by the power of his Holy Spirit, like he did for me, he'd begin to take you by the hand and walk you on the journey of reconciliation so you too can, in fact, look in the mirror and see yourself as his son or as his daughter in whom he loves so very much, so much so that he was willing to pay the price with his son for you to experience and encounter his love, his mercy, his kindness, his grace. So, Father, I pray that you'd encourage us tonight, that you'd fill us to overflowing, that you'd heal us from the inside out, and you'd help us to see ourselves in the, in the mirror the way you see us, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the past, no matter what the hurt, no matter what the thought, that we would not be judges, but, Father, we'd be sons and daughters who commit our lives to following you, to becoming more like you, to being used by you so that others can encounter the same, the same love, the same mercy, the same kindness, and the same love. We thank you for what you've done here tonight. We thank you for the uprooting of the specks that have caused us so much pain and so much hurt. And we thank you for replacing it with your Holy Spirit so that we might see ourselves as your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name.